Welcome to TNT with Teresa Quinlan and Reese Thomas. We are friends from across the pond on a life evolution. We want to bring you topics that challenge your status quo, guests that help you think differently, and nuggets of wisdom that spark being. Being what? You. Authentic you. Hey, TNT listeners, welcome back to another episode with myself, Teresa Quinlan, and my co-host, Reese Thomas. Hello, Reese. Hey, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get right to welcoming our guest today, dubbing herself Chief Civility Officer. Let me say that again, Chief Civility Officer. Sejal Thacker is not your average employment law attorney. Her more than 17 years of experience advising clients regarding sound standard employment practices uncovered a need and a personal passion, which is right up our alley because we love personal passions and obsessions. <laughs> Four, bringing more proactive, relevant, and impactful workplace training programs to her clients and her teams. Her highly experiential, customized workshops tailored to bring the courtroom to the training room in an interactive, engaging environment that favors human stories over compliance checklists. This is right up our alley. Welcome to TNT, Sejel. How are you? Thank you so much. Really excited to be here. I'm glad I can see the two of you. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, your profile picture is beautiful. <laughs> We'd like to kick ourselves off into conversation around story because our passion and our obsession for the work that we're doing is often really driven from our own personal experiences. And sometimes we want to be the change that happens in the world, don't we? So that's where we're going to start. What's the story behind the work that you're doing today? Sure. And again, thank you for having me. You know, I, I think stories are su super important. And I think that stories by sharing our own stories, we can lead change, right? So thank you for the opportunity to share my story with you and, and whoever's watching. You know, everything I do really is centered around you know, how do we create communities, workplaces, you know, where everyone is treated with dignity and respect. And so I have been on the victim side of being discriminated, harassed. I know what it feels like to be excluded. And ever since I was little, I've made it my mission to, I can sense that in a room right away when someone's feeling excluded. And I am always trying to look for ways to make people feel included. So every day I wake up and see what I can, what can I do to help us get closer to that goal? Wonderful. So, um, just to give you a backstory here, um, I think you you sent both of us uh, a copy of your recent TEDx talk, um, Bias, focusing on pain, paradox, and power. It really moved me. It really touched me, and it really kind of um, was the catalyst for for creating this episode. So uh, I wonder if maybe you could give a kind of brief synopsis of you know that you know condensed version of that sort of talk, and then maybe that can lead us into um, some more questions. Is that would that be cool? Sure, absolutely. Brilliant. Yeah, and, and thank you. I the talk was, you know, it, it's it's brought me to this point. And so when we talk about stories, everything that I talk about there, um, I, I I kind of approach the idea or the definition of bias from three different perspectives in my talk. And the first part of it is really about my personal journey, about what I went through growing up. You know, uh, my parents are immigrants from India. We were the only Indian family in a predominantly Italian neighborhood. So I dealt with a lot of bias growing up, um, you know, both inside the house and outside the house, actually. Um, what I focus in on the talk is really what I dealt with outside of the house, which was 
being Indian and then having dealt with harassment, bullying, discrimination, you know, a lot of name calling. We found graffiti on our house and toilet paper wrapped around our house. And it was just really hard going through that. So I really wanted to highlight that, you know, children of immigrants in this country don't have a lot of support. You know, and we're really kind of left on our own to deal with and, and figure out how we're going to get through that situation. So that's where I talk about the pain of bias and, and kind of what I went through. And really, the thing that got me through that experience was my father, you know, and so I'm glad we're doing this episode. Actually, my heart is raw today because Father's Day is coming up on Sunday and I get really emotional around this time because he was the only person I really talked to about what I was going through, you know, and he would give me some advice and so I talk about that advice and how it helped me go through my experience. And then I talk about the paradox of bias. And that's really where I talk about, you know, some of the advice that he gave me. And then also about when I became an attorney, I think most people, after they hear my story, they would expect that I would represent the victim or be a, a plaintiff's attorney. And I actually ended up doing the opposite. Now, here I was representing leaders and supervisors in litigation cases specifically dealing with harassment and discrimination. So I was on the other side. And so I got to see bias from a whole different viewpoint. You know, and that's where I talk about the paradox of bias. And then, you know, and then I talk about the power of bias. And, and that's the part of my journey where I really started to understand more about unconscious bias and how that controls our actions and our behaviors and, and how people just don't truly understand it. I mean, unless you're, you really seek it out and do the work. I mean, I didn't start learning about unconscious bias way into my career, years after being an attorney, right? which is something like blows my mind. I would have, you would have think I would have known about how bias impacts our decision making way earlier. Um, and so I talk about strategies on how we can overcome our bias once we know and we do the work to understand it. And so that's a little bit about my talk. There was a, this, so there was a piece within your talk as well that has this direct relationship to the unconscious biasness that we all carry with us. And it was very early on in your TED Talk, actually, when you shared the story of having the poster on your locker of go back to your country. And I think it's such a dynamic nature of our unconscious biasness is I, I'm, I'm in Canada and you're in the U.S. and I mean, well, Reese is, Reese is in the UK, so then not many people immigrate to the UK. <laughs> it, it happens, but not many, right? But Canada and the US are countries that are founded on immigrants. So this kind of unconscious bias is pretty much everyone, except a very few select individuals within the US or Canada are native to that country. So we're all immigrants. So we all carry this unconscious bias. And yet in some situations it applies and in others, it doesn't. Exactly. What are your thoughts around? So how do you, so like, what are your thoughts around that? And how do you approach that when you're leading like workplace training programs of bringing unconscious bias into our present moment and helping people to really uncover like, oh, that's one I have really deep. Yeah, great question. And, 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 and it impacts everybody, right? Regardless of where you are or what race you are, what religion you are, it, it impacts all of us differently. And that's the thing about bias. It's, it's not like it's something that we want to get rid of it, you know? And that's what kind of really inspired me to do that TEDx talk is because when I started training on that topic, 
I realized that the minute that I would even say the word bias, people would disconnect and shut down. And I'm like, whoa, wait, this is really important for you to understand, you know, and, and Teresa, I've seen you do videos on this topic, you know, and you, so you know what I'm talking about. And it was more like just helping people understand that it's normal. It's a part of who we are. It's part of, you know, some of it comes from our lived experiences. Some of it comes from our upbringing. Some of it comes from social media. I mean, it, it depends on our unique journeys and, and really just helping people see that we're all different. And so our biases are all going to be different. And so what I started doing in my trainings is I started replacing the word bias with the word belief. So instead of saying unconscious bias, I would start saying unconscious belief and just switching that word alone. I saw the reaction change. And I'm like, so I, I do that in my unconscious bias trainings that I do. And I was like, we can't get to true inclusion until people take the time to understand their own hidden beliefs, right? And and actually understand how it drives everything we do. Because once you understand it, and again, you know, I know you do a lot of work on this too, is once you understand it, there are strategies mm -hmm. that you can put into place and they're pretty simple to mm -hmm. help you mitigate the risk, right? It's never going to go away. It's not like, you know, you do this work and then all of a sudden you're bias free. I wish it were that simple, right? It's an ongoing process. And every, I mean, I learned about more stuff about myself as I'm doing this work, you know? And so it's, it's a, it's a lifelong commitment, but it's totally worth it. Okay. So a few things, first of all, we do have a very large uh, number of people immigrating to the UK, uh, especially England. So just to set the record straight there, Teresa. Um, Thank you. That was one of my hidden beliefs. I didn't yeah, think exactly. you did. <laughs> yeah. I would want to live in the UK, but actually loads of people do. Um, <clears throat> so, um, so we're talking about unconscious bias here, but from the Tory that you sell, from the um, things we see on social media, the things that we're, everyone experiences, I would say that a lot of that is conscious bias. And we use that prefix of UN to give ourselves a free pass to try and explain it. So I'm, I'm wondering how you tackle the conscious bias in the work that you do. And maybe is that play a part in why you choose to, to be on the defense side of the, of the panel? And in a way kind of, you're trying to defend them, but maybe you're kind of inadvertently trying to coach them into getting rid of that conscious bias and and, and and making sure that the same thing doesn't happen again. I don't know, maybe that's just a, a speculation, but um, <clears throat> what about conscious bias? But, yeah, totally different, right? When we're talking about conscious bias, that comes from you're aware that you have certain beliefs or prejudices or opinions or perspectives, and then you act in accordance to those. Unconscious bias is things that, you know, spontaneous judgments you make about people without even realizing it. So it's happening unconsciously, unintentionally. You're not even aware. It happens in the blink of an eye, right? So totally different scenario. So as an attorney, I was dealing with a lot of cases where there was conscious bias, right? Somebody is now sexually harassing somebody. Somebody is racially discriminating in somebody, right? So I dealt with a lot of those cases. And I, as I mentioned, I was a defense attorney. So I was representing the organization in these cases. So I was dealing with conscious bias. And then to my surprise, what I ended up finding out that a lot of these cases were actually coming from unconscious bias, not that this person was going out intentionally trying to discriminate or harass somebody, but it was more that they had this bias and they didn't know about it. 
Mm. And now they were saying things like microaggressions and they weren't even aware that it was happening. And so when you have microaggressions that continue, right? If, if, we, don't, if we don't interrupt it right when it starts to happen, mm-hmm. pretty soon it's gonna look like intentional discrimination, right? And so I did find myself coaching and educating people about these biases. And that's where I realized like, wait a second, we're approaching this whole thing wrong, right? We need to start empowering people to figure out these unconscious biases so that when they start dealing with these behaviors, we need to then empower everybody around to to know what to do in those situations so it doesn't fester and turn into conscious bias or discrimination. So we were, in my opinion, doing it polar opposite of how we should have been doing it, right? And so that's why when I started my company, three and a half years ago, I I gave myself this title of chief civility officer, right? Because I want to say, let's, let's, let's combine them both, whether it's unconscious or conscious, let's deal with it proactively and start helping people understand what to do when it starts to happen. So when it's a microaggression, when it's rude or unprofessional behaviors, way before we end up in court. That's a perfect segue because I was battling at the beginning of like, what do I want to ask her first? (laughs) And I had two things down that I wanted to ask you about. So that's a perfect segue to the other thing I wanted to ask you about what you mentioned earlier was your father was that person that was so important to you in part because he gave you the space to talk about how you felt, to be able to talk about feeling bullied and alienated, like these really difficult emotions, which is so important and vital to our ability to process those and then not carry the trauma of the event with us forward into our into our present so how how are you navigating that space of creating environments for people to talk about their conscious and unconscious biases in a way that makes it okay for them to talk about okay for it to be heard and okay for all of us to be working on recognizing them and then implementing the strategies that you set the table so beautifully for them to start using. Yeah. And and that goes, that really goes right into why I approach it from the civility angle, because when you include unconscious bias in that conversation, you have to approach the situation without shame, without judgment, Mm -hmm. without making that person feel like they did something wrong because it's happening unintentionally, unconsciously. And so by creating a space where we're saying we can talk about these things, that doesn't mean you're a bad person. And that's why I did the flip in my TEDx talk to say I was on the victim side. And yet I'm, I'm sitting here telling you from my experience that most times, most of the time, it's because of what we've gone through in our lives. that shapes the way we view the world, what we've been exposed to. So we have to create these safe spaces. And I'll tell you, as an attorney, I've seen the exact opposite, where we're telling people, don't talk about this. Mm-hmm. Don't talk about your perspectives. Don't speak up. You know, don't ask that question. And so we want to go about it the other way is to say, no, let's encourage people to have these conversations. Let's create the space where if somebody says something and it makes me feel uncomfortable, that I can take that risk to say to that person in a respectful, professional way, of course, you know, that, hey, you know, whether or not you intended to or not, that's making me feel uncomfortable, or that's interfering with my ability to do my work. Mm -hmm. And so unless we do that, we can't ever get to inclusion, we can't get to civility. Because 
right now we know that three out of four people are not disclosing that they're dealing with harassment. And that's way further down the, the down this, what I call uncivil behavior spectrum. Three out of four people are not even talking about it right now. We want to say, no, we want to encourage you to bring these issues forward. And you're not going to be retaliated against. You're not going to be judged because unless we do that, we cannot address those issues. So I, I talk about this a lot is that, you know, um, part of what I'm out there doing is really saying that we need to empower mm. people to be a part of the solution. You know, they need to be a part of it. We can't just say, here's what we think is the solution. And then everybody just do it. No, everybody's different. Everybody has different needs and what's going to drive them, what's going to motivate them. So the first thing is to empower everybody, to make them know that you're a part of this. We cannot create, if we're just talking about the workplace, a culture of respect and dignity, unless we all get on the same page. So let's talk about this. Tell me what is it going to take, you know, and, and then you get to a shared space, right? And once you get to that shared space, now we can talk about behavior and how do we align our behavior to those shared goals. And that's, that's a lot of the work that I'm doing right now um, is trying to just get, you know, in my trainings, try to provide employees with those skills to have those conversations. Beautiful. Yeah, here, here. I absolutely agree with that. The experiential bit, and it, it leads nicely to my next question. Obviously, the work that you're doing now um, in your bio and stuff I've seen you on LinkedIn, uh, it's all about your, your experiential training process. So you've talked about the kind of um, system that you have in place to try and empower. I wonder if you could share a, a small sort of idea of, of what this kind of experiential training would look like. So maybe people listening, who might be able to associate with it and, and might want to explore further and, 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 you know, employ your services. Sure. And so, you know, as an, as an attorney, I did a lot of training that was more of your, you know, legal compliance, mm -hmm. so your anti-harassment, anti-discrimination training. And that training, you know, is an important component of your overall training strategy, right? So that's the training where a lot of organizations are providing training that, you know, defines what harassment is, define, defines what discrimination is, and tells you what the law is, tells you what the behaviors are, and then you review your complaint process. That's all great. But then what I found was that there was a gap between your compliance training and really focusing on you know, creating cultures of dignity and respect. So what about topics like allyship? How to act respectfully towards one another when there is a difference of opinions, effective communication, you know, what are the organization values and so forth. So I didn't feel like those topics were being addressed like they should. Mm -hmm. And then another component of what I saw going on was some companies would have their you know, comprehensive DEI plan. So here they were, they, they really are putting the money, the resources behind their DEI training where they're raising awareness on what does it mean to be, what is unconscious bias? What is microaggressions? But then again, I saw a gap there that they weren't tying or bridging the gap between that diversity and inclusion training and your legal compliance training. So there wasn't this bridge there. So that's why I, I do a lot of training on civility in the workplace, which is really trying to say, Let's connect those two. Let's connect, you know, what do we mean by, you know, not just discrimination, harassment, but expand the scope of, you know, we don't need to just do what the law says we need to do. We can go a lot broader than that. And we say, we don't want any kind of uncivil behavior at work. So anything spanning the spectrum of rude, unprofessional, microaggression behavior, all the way up to 
abusive conduct, bullying, and then all the way up to your discrimination and harassment cases. So we want to empower people to start addressing those behaviors early on when they happen. So a lot of the work I do then talks about, you know, unconscious bias, because when you're not aware of your unconscious bias, as you both know, it leads to microaggressions and that then leads to uncivil behavior in the workplace. So I tie the bridge between helping people see that you need to be empowered to understand and, and know how to understand your own bias and how that might result in microaggressions. And then all my training is really huge on bystander intervention. I believe that mm. we really need to empower everybody else that's you know observing this behavior that's happening. It's their responsibility to speak up appropriately and address those behaviors when they're happening. And so I talk about all those issues and really kind of give a full circle on you know, empowering people. This is your responsibility, just like it is your managers, just like it is HR, just like it is the leaders and the supervisors. It's everyone's responsibility to be part of that solution. I love your description of what happens when we're stopping short of completing the, completing the training. So we've got compliance stuff and knowledge, but we haven't shifted yet behavioral stuff. And so if you're stopping short, then you'll notice this behavioral stuff is still showing up in your environment. And that's a cue that you're not finished yet. So I'm also wondering if you can help our listeners to understand the impact to their bottom line by stopping short. So what metrics and how are those metrics impacted by not getting right down to the behavioral stuff? And there are so many statistics on that question, right? I mean, you just look at the number of lawsuits that are filed with the EEOC, right? Mm -hmm. You look at the number that EEOC is collecting from plaintiffs, and that's just the financial component. We're not even talking about the physical, the psychological, the mm -hmm. mental, the stress. I mean, Society of Human Resource Managers released a study where they said just in, in a period of five years, because of toxic workplaces, because this behavior was allowed to continue and has become normal in a lot of workplaces, then in a period of five years, employers spent $223 billion on just employee retention. Mm -hmm. So financially, we know that the business case has long been made, but I think it's even bigger than that, you know, because right now, I mean, especially after this last year and a half, I mean, it's changed the landscape, you know, people are not tolerating civility. So it's hard enough getting good talent in the door, but now they're going to walk out and we're not bound by geographic limitations anymore. You know, people can work online. And so you don't, you're not, those restrictions are gone. So it really is about it, employers really need to be concerned about how do we create these cultures of psychological safety where people are encouraged to do, to bring these up and to actually do the work and know how to do the work. Right. Um, and so I, I think that it's important to recognize that also, you know, we have to look at mental well-being of employees and, mm -hmm. and really put them first, you know, because if we are not taking care of our people, then, you know, we're not going to succeed anymore, especially with the way that we're looking at how it is. So I just want to throw out, you know, when I talk about how there's that gap, you know, I think it's important to say, if you are looking at how do we create, how do we fill that gap? Here are some of the things that I think are just, I want to just throw this out there because I, 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 I feel like when I talk about it, I want to be very specific about what I think 
people need to do to bridge that gap so that they don't have all those numbers and they don't have to deal with all of that. I think the number one thing is, look, let's align our behavioral expectations, right? So you can have all the core values in the world of, you know, but if people don't understand how that translates into behavior and what's expected of them, especially when we're talking about creating cultures of respect, civility, and inclusion, right? So people need to know. And so a lot of times what I've seen is leadership knows if they know at all, right? But they know, they define it, and it's from their perspective. So I always say, okay, take that to the, the new person walking in the door. Look at it from their perspective. How can we say, here are the core values for you, and now we're going to expect this behavior. They need to know what's expected of them, right? Another huge gap that I see in trainings everywhere is, and, and this is something that, you know, I'm, I've aligned myself with people that do this work because I don't actually do training in this area, um, but empathy, you know, how do we develop empathy for each other and see things from different perspectives? That's a huge gap, mm-hmm. you know? And so I've, I've aligned myself with people as I'm, as I'm doing more of this work is another one. Look, we talk a lot about raising awareness of bias, right? Of what unconscious bias is. I think we need to be more specific about tools that people need to understand what their unconscious bias is. And then how do we interrupt those microaggressions? That's huge. A lot of what I've seen as an attorney is that these micro, it starts off as microaggressions. And if we know how to interrupt that as bystanders, then we can step in and prevent them from escalating. And again, conflict management skills. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, I think the mentality has been, let's punt it all over to HR and they'll handle it. You know, <laughs> let's get rid of that. No, we, we're adults. Like we should be able to deal with some of these situations on our own. I mean, okay, I get it. Sexual harassment. There are some cases that have to go be reported to HR, right? Mm-hmm. In those cases, you make everybody a mandatory reporter. Mm-hmm. That's my, that's my bottom line. Like everybody in the organization, you see somebody sexually harassing somebody, you are mandatory reporter, go take it to HR, period. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Nobody has discretion on that. Yeah. Right. But everything else, like microaggressions, come on. Like I should be able to have this. We should be able to have this conversation if we know how to do it properly. Right. Um, and then I think it's important that management, our role models, they have to be properly trained. I'm talking about from frontline supervisors, all the way up to your CEOs, especially senior leadership, right? I mean, but everybody needs to be trained as leaders on how to be role models and what's expected of them. We cannot keep assuming that just because you've got to that position that you know how to lead a team of people. That That's not the case. We make these assumptions and a lot of times people are not trained on it. So for, for example, in California, we have a, a, a rule in our public sector supervisors, for example, and I think this should be a rule for all supervisors everywhere. Um, but in California, if you work for any public state agency, you have to go through mandatory 80 hours mm. of training. It's basic supervisory training. Like that should be across the board for everybody. Like you, you need to know these basic skills of how to lead people. And some people call them soft skills, you know, but I don't want to, that, I feel like that undermines the importance of those skills. So I, I want to read. I want to redefine the word soft skill, that term soft skills, because I feel like people are like, ah, I got it, you know. And I'm like, no, it's actually a pretty big deal. <laughs> we need them in the trickiest of situations. That's yeah. that's. They're only called soft because they soften the experience, but they're not soft because they're easy. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, I'm conscious that we're running out of time here. So, sort of two two part question. Firstly, 
Um, as you rightly highlighted there, a lot of this work is often targeted at that senior leadership supervisory level, um, and rightly so. But in, in an earlier comment you meant, you talked about allyship, which I'd like you to maybe explain a little bit more. And is that more about a, on a peer-to-peer -peer level, um, kind of what you just touched on there? And then as a sort of closing bit, is there something that you would uh, recommend to our listeners and whatever level they are in an organization or in a family as well, um, how we can all add a little drop more civility into our daily practices? Yeah. And, and when I talk about allyship, I simply mean, you know, look, we all have some advantages, right? We all have some privileges. And to be able to recognize our privilege, whatever that is for us, it's all individual. It's not associated with anything. It's we all have some I if I'm, you know, looking at somebody, another Indian person who was born in India, I have a privilege because I was born in the United States, right? So because of that, just because of that fact, which I had no control over, I have some advantages because of that fact that I was born here, right? So helping people recognize what their own privileges are and how they may be able to use those privileges when they're dealing with anybody else, whether it's at work or outside of work, right? So, you know, for example, you're on the street, you know, we're seeing a lot of that in California, this Asian hate, you know, you're standing on the street and somebody walks up to an older Asian person and starts harassing them. How can I show my allyship? How can I, as a bystander, intervene in that situation to support that person, whether I know them or not, right? So a lot of these concepts of civility and allyship apply not only at work. All of the things, actually, that I talk about in my trainings all apply at work and outside of work, right? So, but for anybody, just how do we, you know, it's, to, it's just, it's, I think the important thing is to start by understanding your own bias, your own unconscious bias, and being able to recognize that we all operate, we make these automatic assumptions and judgments about people very quickly after meeting that person and how that impacts how we interact with them. That would be a great first step for everybody, right? Because mm -hmm. until we gain that awareness, we can't put into place any kind of strategies, Right. And so as an organization, when we're trying to look at culture, everybody needs to do their own part because and, and, and organizations need to empower people to do that part and say, it's not about judging you. It's not about shaming you. But here we're going to create a space so that you can do this work, because we know if you do that work, the organization as a whole is going to benefit from that. So Joel, all I'm thinking about right now, I'm like, I'm almost distracted by one of the comments that you have put on the table for us, because I'm now thinking of Mark Brackett and how he took all of his work and put it into schools where children create the change that we want culturally to have in our societies. And I'm just thinking an allyship program in schools for kids on how to do this would be like mind blowing. Is that on your is that on your radar? Like, can we expect something that huge to come out of the work that you're doing? You know, I would love to do that. And it, it is happening. You know, I'm not doing, yeah, I do. I've been speaking on some podcasts about it and I totally 100% think that, but it is happening. Look yeah. at the children that are there growing up now. Like when we yeah. look at kids right now, they look at this stuff differently. So it is happening slowly. I think it's going to speed, it's sped up this last year and a half, right? Yeah. Um, as we fully embraced inclusion and belonging. But yes, I 100% would love to 
you know, have an opportunity to work with children because I think it starts in our homes Yeah, and think about the difference. And it's happening. Like even the millennials right now are looking, they're different and not, you know, I'm, I'm stereotyping, right. But just, if you look at the whole, right, they're more purpose driven, they're more impact driven. And so it's happening. Mm-hmm. And as we start in our homes, like with my son, you know, I'm very intentional about exposing him to all kinds of diversity. I have those uncomfortable conversations, right? I mean, the other day, you know, we were watching a movie and it was, there was a transgender person on the show, right? And I had no problem sitting down and having that conversation. And I have plenty of friends that would say, he's too, he's, he's going to turn nine, that it's too early to have that conversation. And I'm like, no, it's not. You know, I truly believe, and I've seen this around LinkedIn, where it's like, if kids that age are, you know, having to deal with racism and discrimination, then they're old enough to understand how it goes in the other direction and how it should go, right? How we would treat that person with dignity and respect regardless. But yes, oh my God, that would be the opportunity of a lifetime to be able to do that. Seriously. Sounds amazing. Yeah, it reminds me of what we were talking about the other day, Teresa. We are talking about psychological safety, and obviously we all have a focus on in an organization, the business thing, but really... Uh, due to the you know the expenses of social media, the the highlight on well-being and mental health, we need to think about psychological safety in a in a total overall situation rather than just focusing on how it fits into an organisation. We need to be able to translate that into everyday work. And, and you know what you talked about there, starting in the schools is is you know clearly a fundamental part, a building block in, towards that process. But um, right, before we run out of time, everyone is going to love what they've heard. Um, Sejal, how are they going to keep in touch with you? How can they find out more? Yeah, so um, I'm on LinkedIn. So if you're on LinkedIn, follow me on there. I, I actually go out of my way to share resources on any of the stuff we've talked about. Like it's a huge deal for me. So that would be the best thing. And then the only other place um, would be my website, trainextra.com. Fabulous. So we'll obviously put all that in the, into the uh, show notes. Um, right now, we like to finish off with our um, rapid fire Q&A. It's five questions, bit of fun to finish with. Answer it, whatever's on your heart or your mind, whatever, wherever it comes from. Um, are you ready? Sure. Perfect. All right. Number one, which emotion catches you off guard most often? Anger. Okay. And what do you do to regulate that emotion in the moment? Breathe. Pause. Okay. And what, what's next in your personal evolution? Big one. I'm actually just recently accepted a position as chief culture officer for a venture studio. I've never been in that space. I don't know anything about venture studios or startups. And so I'm excited about this opportunity and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn so much. So that would be my evolution that's coming up. Congratulations. Um, okay, number four, when your best friend is having a meltdown, what do you say to them? Is there anything I can do to help you? All right, lastly, is that in this moment, what are you most looking forward to or most hopeful for? I am I'm really looking forward to seeing just, you know, um, people become more accepting. You know, it's happening. I'm seeing it every single day. And I have a feeling it's going to go a lot quicker now. I think we've gotten over the hump and um, people have picked their side. And I think we're just going to start seeing some amazing things happen, which is beautiful because I didn't think I'd see it in my lifetime. And so I'm just excited about where we're going to be and, and where and, and actually I'll add to that technology, you know, just kind of I want to see how technology is going to evolve and change our lives mm-hmm. in the, over the next you know decade or so. Amazing. 
Thank you so much for sharing a little piece about your story, your passion, your purpose, what you're up to now and how you're going to sort of uh, progress that and help create some of that change you wanted to see in your lifetime um, for, for the kids, for the people, and, and also help spread this, uh, this idea of civility, which I, I for one, I think is uh, uh, so, so necessary, so, so um, important. And, you know, people like you are really helping to um, <clears throat> spread that word in, in such a clear and concise and, and an effective manner. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for sharing um, what you're up to. And um, Teresa, any just to, just to echo those sentiments that man did we ever cover did you ever cover and give us like <laughs> nugget after nugget after nugget of not just what it is but how it shows up and what we can start doing about it it's a jam-packed episode so eloquently expressed thank you so much for bringing it to us you're welcome thank you this was so much fun and i'm so sorry about the video camera not working but we had a great conversation so thank you Thanks for listening to this episode of TNT. Please share, subscribe, rate, and review. And when you're ready for your personal evolution, check out Reese at trueselfcoaching.com. And for your emotional intelligence revolution, check out Teresa at iqeqtq.com. <laughs>